Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Biblically and Beyond podcast. I'm your host, Justin Paley. And in today's episode, we're going to explore the first Jewish-Roman war of the first century and its potential connections to the Bible. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Okay, so the first Jewish-Roman war. Now, I want to preface uh, this episode before diving into things that this is going to be more uh, on the, the history side of things and not necessarily diving into biblical texts that deeply. Um, but uh, as we'll see throughout the episode, there are potential uh, very important implications that the the first uh, Jewish Roman war, I'll refer to it periodically throughout the episode as just the first Jewish revolt, just to, to make things easier. Uh, and there's, I think, some really fruitful and interesting avenues for exploration there. So um, we'll just sort of take it more free form and, and just see where the discussion takes us. But a really, really interesting topic, uh, at least I think so personally. So uh, let's just take a, a more of a, a bird's eye view of things here. So what is the um, the first or the sometimes also called the Great Jewish Revolt? Well, in terms of time period, just to um, sort of ground us here, we're talking about the years roughly between 66 and 74 CE. Now, in relation to the New Testament and the life of Jesus, there is some overlap. So Jesus probably died somewhere in the mid-30s CE. Uh, And so this was well after his death. But that being said, there is still a lot of overlap between other uh, important uh, early Christian figures, as well as the text of the New Testament. So Paul, we don't know exactly when he died, but it was most likely sometime in the mid-60s. So uh, potentially some, some overlap here. Now, other early Christian figures... For example, some of the better-known ones, James, brother of Jesus, Peter, John. We Our sources for them are uh, not very abundant at all. So it's really anybody's guess in terms of, of when they passed away. James, he is mentioned by Josephus. It seems like most likely he was killed sometime in the 40s or 50s CE, so not uh, overlap with with him in particular. Peter, possible that he also died sometime in in the 60s CE, but again, that is a complete guess. But nonetheless, even if these very famous apostles um, did not have direct overlap, certainly a lot, obviously, a lot of the early Christians of the first century would have had some connection to this conflict. Now, that being said, one thing that I do want to really make sure to emphasize is that when it comes to discussions of 
this, uh, this first Jewish revolt. This is the same revolt which resulted in the destruction of the Second Temple, which is a very, very famous event that um, many people, both religious and non-religious, are aware of. Now, it's very tempting to see the destruction of the temple as this uh, like earth-shattering event for Jews of the period in Judaism as a whole. And that this completely, you know, really redefined religion for Jews across the uh, entire ancient world in this sort of cataclysmic way. So a couple things to keep in mind here. One, we got to be very, very careful not to overemphasize the impact that the destruction of the Second Temple would have had on Jews. Now, that's not to say that it was not a traumatic event for a lot of people and that um, it, it really redefined in a lot of ways the, the nature and practice of Judaism. That is certainly true. But one thing that I learned while I was um, doing my, my master's program at Yale Divinity School is I was in a, a class on the Gospel of Matthew, and we had a, a guest professor from another university in Israel who was uh, guest visiting uh, was guest visiting the Divinity School, and they were sitting in in our class, and they were a in Second Temple Judaism generally, which encompasses a long period, but. Um, had very extensive knowledge of first century Judaism. And she, I'm going to condense her, her, her point, which were, uh, which was a lot more, um, you know, detailed and um, uh, granular, but just to sum it up quickly, gist of it is non, non-Jews have, really dominated scholarship, uh, particularly in early Christian scholarship. Uh, and so Jewish perspectives are not always um, as thoroughly included as they, as they might be. And there's a tendency within scholarship to overemphasize the impact of the destruction of the Second Temple in a way that does not reflect reality. And so when we think about this event, we can't always think that it affected every single Jew in the same way and that it had this cataclysmic effect for for every Jew. Uh, And so we need to, to walk a fine line there and not just assume that this was some major event that uh, basically turned the the lives uh, of every single Jew upside down uh, in, in, in an unimaginable way. Uh, now, that was a little bit of a word salad, but uh, it's, it's, it's hard to encapsulate what she was saying just because she went into a lot of detail uh, in, in a way that I, I think truly captures what she was trying to say. But I think overall, she has a very, very good point. And this lack of Jewish perspective in early Christian studies is not just 
limited to to this particular topic. It's you know pretty much across the board. Uh, and so I say all that to say we need to be careful not to overemphasize the impact of this event. Now, that being said, the more interesting point, I think, be, or overlap, I should say, between the destruction of the Second Temple and the First Jewish Revolt and uh, early Christianity slash the New Testament is not necessarily the uh, the individual people, but the texts. Because the texts, in terms from from a chronological perspective, have a lot more overlap with these events than um, the the individual prominent apostles and Jesus himself. So all of the gospels, with the possible exception of Mark, were all written after seventy C.E. and the destruction of the temple, and a lot of the. Um, the non-gospel material in the New Testament, with the exception of the authentic letters of Paul, which, as a reminder, is Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Philippians, First Thessalonians, and Philemon. Those were all written, obviously, sometime during Paul's life. So they they were written before the destruction of the temple. Uh, but then a lot of the Pauline pseudepigrapha the topic of one of the first podcast uh, episodes, uh, those uh, vary in date, but most likely all of them were written sometime after the destruction of the temple. And then other literature, other New Testament texts, for example, First Peter, Second Peter, James, Jude, Revelation, all these other texts were also um, written post-70 CE. So, the vast majority of the New Testament was written after all of these events took place. And so you might be thinking to yourself, well, then, um, do we see examples of how the destruction of the temple has influenced the development of early Christianity or the way that these texts talk about theology and God and, and God's people, et cetera, et cetera? That is where I think for at least the purposes of this episode that I want to focus on because it's a really interesting dynamic that I'll be totally honest with you, at least for me, is really hard to untangle and figure out. Because if we think, for example, back to some of the sayings of Jesus about how the temple is going to be destroyed and how all of these um uh, you, you know, Judaism and, and religion as we know it is is going to be upended when when God establishes His kingdom and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and and the religious leaders they're all going to essentially be upended and the temple is going to be as the Gospels tell us Jesus said well, rebuilt in three days obviously a reference to his, his death and resurrection. Now, a couple interesting things here. One is, did Jesus actually say this? Now, I'm not going to get into the 
the intricacies of this, because I think some of it comes down to your religious conviction and whether you believe in in prophecy, in the sense of predicting future events. Because from one perspective, you could say, well, yeah, it it is both from a, a religious perspective, obviously, but also a plausibly from a historical perspective, could see Jesus, who was this apocalyptic preacher as he's coming into Jerusalem and seeing the splendor of the temple, um, saying something along the lines of, you know, look at all, all all the stones of this magnificent temple are going to be torn down and everything's going to be destroyed. That makes sense from a secular historical perspective, minus the re- being rebuilt in, in three days. But also one could say, well, maybe Jesus didn't actually say that. This is more just the gospel writers uh, essentially putting words in Jesus's mouth that reflect the post-70 CE situation of the temple, i.e. it's destroyed. So I, I, I really don't know where I fall on this, honestly. I think there are good arguments to be made for both. But regardless, with the exception of, of that event in the Gospels, you really don't get much of anything that you could possibly tie back to the the first Jewish revolt. And another thing to keep in mind is that, of course, the, the single event of the temple being destroyed was a big deal, but this revolt didn't just happen out of nowhere. A lot of the issues underlying it, the civil unrest, a lot of it had to do with stuff like taxation, um, giving uh, worship to the emperor and sacrifices to the emperor and um, Roman governors and other government officials uh, trying to provoke uh, the the Jews of the area either by constructing idols or forcing them to give honor to the emperor in ways that violated Jewish law and custom. And generally, some of these um, tensions have been avoided because the Romans, generally speaking, pretty much left the Jews to, um, from a religious perspective, govern themselves. You know, as long as they were paying the, their, their taxes and not causing civil unrest, the Romans didn't really care. Um, but as that started to, to change and uh, tensions really came to a boiling point, that's what really underlied at a very surface level. Obviously, there, there's a lot more uh, intricacy and, and detail there, just like there is be- behind any sort of conflict. But we could see some of the roots of the problem in the Gospels themselves, stuff like taxation, stuff like the divide between rich and poor and the rich and their connection to religious authorities and the relationship between religious authorities and the Roman governing authorities. Uh, And you could see a lot of these conflicting viewpoints in the Gospels themselves, too. Um, And so... uh, that, that That is all to say that this revolt that started in 66 CE uh, was not just some spontaneous event. These issues were very much prevalent during the time of Jesus and culminated in this, um, in this revolt and subsequent destruction of the temple. 
But if you think about it from a somewhat religious perspective, in the sense that you're a Jew living in the first century, the second temple, whether or not you actually make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem and give sacrifices at the temple and, and view it as sort of the cornerstone of, of your um, religious faith, the, the, the temple held a very important place. And so if it gets destroyed, how do you explain that? How, how do you explain the fact that Yahweh, the God of the Jews, who's supposed to, to protect his people, and the temple, which was considered literally the, the embodiment of God, I mean, you have the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest is, is allowed into once a year, and it, it was thought to be literally the, the room that housed God's presence of which was why only the high priest could go in there. And if anybody else went in there at any other time, the, the thought was that they would automatically die. So how, how do you explain the fact that now not only is the temple destroyed, but as a result, almost like God's presence has been destroyed and all of these holy objects have been destroyed as well. Or, or looted and plundered, and the temple treasury was also plundered, and Jews were being taken into slavery by the Romans, and people were being slaughtered en masse, all these different things. How, how do you explain that from, from a religious perspective? Now, there's a lot of different answers to that, and unfortunately, as is the case with many other things of the first century, we don't have a lot of different sources. We have Josephus, who basically gives a whole overview of the first Jewish revolt. He was actually originally a military commander of one of the Jewish rebel sects, um, but then eventually was captured by the Romans and basically became like the personal historian to the, the emperor and, and wrote this whole account of the Jewish war and, and many other things as well. And he's our main source for a lot of the information that we have about the first Jewish revolt. But we don't have too many other perspectives. We have a couple of Roman sources that discuss it, contemporaneous Roman sources. There are other sources that come after the fact that are obviously less reliable and not eyewitness testimony by by any stretch of the imagination but we we have limited sources to work with even for a super important event like this and so that's another factor complicating things is that we don't actually really know how the quote unquote you know everyday normal jewish person of the time really interpreted these events because even within the jewish rebels themselves, there were different factions and infighting and different beliefs. Some people wanted to make peace with the Romans, others wanted to resist at all costs. Uh, and you had violence amongst Jews themselves, in addition to violence between Jews and the Romans. And so there's all these different competing viewpoints that, again, we don't know we don't have as much detail as, as we would like, and we have very limited perspective because a lot of this is coming through the viewpoint of Josephus. But 
we know for sure <laughs> that obviously the temple was destroyed and we can try to uh, hypothesize on, on its effects. So that, that kind of leaves us in, in no man's land here because we know that these events took place. We might not have all the details, different viewpoints that we would like, but we have enough facts to sort of sketch this very basic picture. And we do know that after the destruction of the temple, what we now call rabbinic Judaism really started to t take off and synagogues and, and local places of worship took more of a prominent role for Jews than it had in the past. Now, there were always Jews that were living outside of Jerusalem, obviously, and, and weren't very close uh, physically in terms of physical proximity to the, to the temple itself. And so um, some of those local um, synagogue would be maybe the wrong word to use, but like local Jewish religious gatherings served as, as the main spiritual touch point for, for many of those um, they're called diaspora Jews. But many of them did make the pilgrimage for the high holy days, Passover specifically. We get a, a glimpse of that in, in the New Testament with Jesus. And we do know for sure that there were hundreds of thousands of Jews who occupied uh, Jerusalem and the temple during these, these high holy days. So, Certainly, it was, as, as we've already said many times, a very, very important symbol for Judaism at the very least, and for many, probably also a very, very important religious institution, either because they were going there on a daily basis because they lived in the area, or the people were making pilgrimages um, to there once, twice, three times a year, whatever the case might be. And so um, did stand as uh, actually a, an important physical embodiment of Judaism for, for many of these Jews of the period. And, and it might seem like we're kind of going all over the place here, and, and we are, because it's, it's necessary, um, unfortunately, because of the limited information that we have to work with. And we're balancing this, this really fine line of acknowledging that the temple was important while also acknowledging that um, from a New Testament perspective, at least, uh, you would think that there would be more indication of the destruction of the temple in some of these texts. Now, some of that might be explained by the fact that most of the New Testament was written by non-Jews um, in the sense that they were they're Gentiles who, for lack of a better way to put it, converted to Christianity, which would have been considered a, a form of Judaism at the time. But nonetheless, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. Suffice it to say that a lot of the New Testament comes from more of a, a Gentile Hellenistic perspective, not from Jews who were living in Jerusalem or who might have, you know, grown up all their lives learning about the temple and been intimately familiar with it and its history. 
nonetheless, we don't really get much of a sense. I mean, if you read the New Testament, you wouldn't think that something like this happened within not only a few decades of the life of Jesus, but contemporaneous with a lot of the the writings themselves, if not other important figures like Paul and Peter. So you would expect at the very least to at least get some hints of it. And there, there might be hints of it. In fact, a lot of scholars do see hints of it, some of it as we've already discussed in the words of Jesus, which is actually why some people think that Mark may have been written before 70, is a fact that it doesn't seem to give, at least in the opinions of some, any indication about the destruction of the temple. Now, I tend to think that it was written after 70 CE and that it is aware of the events. It's just not talking about them explicitly. But it may be behind stuff like the prediction of Jesus about the temple being destroyed. It might be behind stuff like we find in Hebrews, which talks a lot about, um, to, to really simplify it, Jesus as the new temple. Uh, and so sort of by implication, saying the old temple has been destroyed both figuratively and literally, and Jesus now is sort of the the new temple. We get this imagery of Jesus being the embodiment of the church and some of the Pauline pseudepigrapha, like Colossians and Ephesians. And you have this imagery of Jesus as the, the new temple, in, in, in a sense, even though it might not ex- be explicitly stated that way. It's pretty clear that there is this idea that Jesus is replacing some of these traditional forms of Jewish worship, whether that be sacrifices, whether that be um, going to the temple itself, whether that be relying on the temple uh, religious authorities. A lot of that might be underlying some of this theology that we find in, in texts like like Hebrews, Colossians, Ephesians, all of which were written after the the temple has been destroyed. But that still begs the question of why why is it if if that is the case, like let's let's hypothetically grant that the destruction of the temple is at least one of the factors underlying, we'll take for example, the theology of Hebrews and this idea that Jesus's body is the new temple replacing the old. It's still curious why it doesn't play more of a prominent role, because you would think that this would be sort of fertile ground for um, early Christians that, that are writing after the fact. It could be, you know, from a polemical standpoint saying, well, you know, this is uh, this is a judgment on, on the people. It was judgment on people who didn't accept Jesus, or this is a, a sign that God has destroyed the temple. Um, Jesus is now the, the new temple, and, and we're going to really emphasize this fact and make it explicit because, look, we're not making this up. I mean, everybody knows or has heard of what happened in Judea and the second and to the second temple, which was one of the most magnificent buildings in the ancient world. Both Jews and non-Jews do say that. Uh, so 
this is not something that, you know, only some people would have known about. This would have been known being Titus, who was the, the Roman general and also uh, after the fact emperor who uh, put down the Jewish, uh, the Jewish revolt. And he comes triumphantly into to Rome and builds his famous Arch of Titus um, and mints coins uh, called uh, that, that depict the, the Roman conquest of, of Judea and the Jewish rebels. And so this was, this was a big deal. This was a big deal. I probably should have started the episode by, by giving some of that context. Um, but nonetheless, this is a big deal. Everybody knew about this, Jews and non-Jews alike. And so for me, what I find so interesting and perplexing about all of this and why I'm not sure exactly what the the correct direction is to, to think about these things is that on, on the one hand, the, the I, I want to practice what I preach and not constantly emphasizing the uh, the importance of the destruction of the temple for Jews uh, and that maybe for the vast majority of Jews, this really didn't change that much in terms of their conception of Judaism and their daily practices. In fact, in terms of at least daily practices, it almost certainly did not um, upend most Jews. Perhaps it did have more of an, a psychological effect in terms of how they thought about um, Judaism and their relationship to God. But because of the lack of sources, it's absolutely impossible to know. But it would make sense that <laughs> something like that would, would have such a big effect. But I, I, I want to make sure that I'm not over-indexing on that point. And seeing in every little New Testament reference to temple destruction or Jesus being the new temple as that uh, that event being the underlying the underlying um, what's the right word here? I don't know. Let me back up. Not the not the underlying that the that that is what the the writer had in mind. Perhaps this is a better way to put it. That's what the writer had in mind when writing those words, developing that theology, whatever the case might be. And from a historical perspective, when I think about the development of the New Testament, it never really occurred to me the possible implications of this. So, for example, it might help us better date some of the New Testament texts if we really try to understand the relationship between the development of early Christianity and the destruction of the temple. Uh, I also find it really interesting that it doesn't seem like, at least immediately, a lot of early Christians were using the destruction of the temple as a way to distance themselves from other Jews. Now we have some of that during Paul's lifetime, you know, him um, going against the, the other, other Jews and that Paul is punished by other, other Jews. And there's a lot of conflict between the early Christ followers and Jewish communities. We get some of that vitriol 
in Paul's letters and obviously the Gospels themselves. But in the later text, we don't really get much of an explicit connection between these um, differences of, of opinion in these theological battles. You would think that the destruction of the temple would be bought up more often, but that's not what we find, neither in the New Testament nor in um, the limited first, early, second century sources that we have. So I find that really, really interesting. And I don't know what to make of it, to be honest. But the other day, I, I was really, th I was thinking about it. I was thinking about the first Jewish revolt. And I really wanted to go back and see, you know, what, what do Jewish sources have to say about this? And it's really just Josephus that we have and, and some other, a uh, couple of other Roman sources. And then the, the archaeological and the, the physical evidence, you know, the archaeological evidence, coins, the, the Titus Arch, etc. And the one place where we would, it may perhaps expect there to be more of a, of a record of this, i.e. the New Testament, which, one, is the product of Jews or these people who had close contact with Jews and were very much involved in the religious world of, of Judaism in one way or another, who were contemporaneous with these events, and who, from a theological perspective, have a, perhaps a really um, powerful argument there in terms of, of Jesus being this new embodiment of God and God's will and temple, however you want to phrase it, and this quote-unquote old model of, of the temple and the way that you know, things used to be done, that, that is you know, no longer valid. That's not what God wants. They want you to believe in and follow Jesus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't really get a lot of that. And I find that really, really fascinating because, again, I don't know what to make of it. But I, w I was thinking about it the other day, and... A lot of these thoughts were swirling around in my head, and I thought that it would be uh, an interesting topic to touch on, though this was only a very, very surface-level treatment. Um, I could do more episodes more specifically on like the history of the first Jewish revolt, because really, really interesting, some of like the political dynamics here, and some of the um, other historical consequences outside of the development of early Christianity, which is obviously what we're focusing on here. But maybe that, that'll be a future episode. But wanted to, you know, just use this half hour to give a little bit of an introduction to some of these issues, give uh, an overview of some of the overlap between that in, in the Bible and New Testament, and perhaps how it might affect how we situate or think about the development of early Christianity. So... I hope this has at least been a little bit interesting. I know that we're a little bit all over the place. So I hope that it was, um, you know, that, that you were able to to follow along and that uh, you could walk away with um, with something interesting to think about. So um, thanks, thanks for hanging on throughout uh, all those 35 minutes, uh, if you're still listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.